Good morning. I'm Erica Allen. I'm one of the pastors here. We are starting our third message series, message in the series, Nothing is Wasted. We've been looking at the story of Joseph. So if you want to uh, have some good summer reading, I really invite you sometime over the next week to open up Genesis, start in chapter 37. You can start in chapter 1 if you'd like. But if you'd like to just read about the story of Joseph, you can open up to Genesis chapter 37 and read through chapter 50. It's a wonderful story of how God doesn't waste one single thing. The betrayal, the desert seasons in our lives, the uh, people lying and cheating about us. God doesn't waste any bit of that. He's able to redeem it and restore it and use us um, for mighty things. It doesn't mean God causes it, but it does mean God can transform it so that it won't be wasted. This morning we're going to talk about what happens when we're living in a season of desert or famine. So famine is what happens when there's not enough rain, there's drought, there's things going on with the land and you can't grow the food that people need. We're going to look at, at, what, the, at what that looks like. Um, as I was studying the message this week, I thought about a friend that I had met with who had lived through a sort of famine season. Before he was 30 years old, he was diagnosed with a very aggressive type of cancer and he was going to have to go through surgeries and multiple um, rounds of chemo and, and all of that stuff. And I remember when I met him, he was sort of at the end of this journey that he was on. Um, he was in remission. They had a few more things they had to do, but I remember he was tired and he was weak um, and he just wanted to talk for a few minutes. So I was a pastor. He was a pastor in East Nashville. He'd started attending our church when we lived in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I remember we're sitting there talking about sort of this journey that he was experiencing. And it, it sounds very much like a famine. Like it just, it, the season felt dry and like there wasn't a lot um, of goodness in his life and around him. Um, that, that's kind of how he described it. And I remember he's like sharing with this about it and he's reflecting back over the past year of going through, the past couple of years that he'd gone through treatments and surgeries. And, and he looked at me and he said, Erica, this is what I've learned more than anything in this season. That, that God became my friend, not just my neighbor. Before I was God's friend, I was God's neighbor. I've taught my kids to say this line, like, God is your friend. I've sang growing up in church, what a friend we have in Jesus. But if I'm really honest with y'all, I don't exactly know what that line meant. I, didn't, I don't exactly know what it means to have a friend in God, have a friend in Jesus. I didn't exactly know what it meant. So I asked him, I said, can you explain that to me? Can you explain what it means to me that, that God wasn't your neighbor, God was your friend? Like, I, I don't know what you're saying there. And he said, in the early days of cancer treatment. He, he was like the, that downstairs neighbor where when the neighbor upstairs in your first apartment, you guys remember this, is making like entirely too much noise and he's like banging on the ceiling with a, with a broom. Hey, are you listening to me? Stop. Whatever it is you're doing up there, stop it. He said, that's what I was like in those early days. I'm like banging on the, on the ceiling. God, just listen to me. Make this stop. Make this annoying thing I'm having to deal with stop. To start with, I was God's neighbor. He said, and then I started banging on, on God's door. I don't have enough for today. He said, I need to borrow some daily bread. I'll figure out how to pay you back, God, but I just need some bread for today. I was that neighbor who just needed a little something. And he said, then God became that annoying neighbor that doesn't pay attention to the property lines. God 
started encroaching in my life, as I started begging for God's love and mercy, as I began to accept more of God's peace and grace in the midst of this season, God began to, God's love and goodness began to encroach in on my property lines. Like he wasn't obeying the fence. Where there was doubt, now I was having a little more faith. Where there was anger and resentment and all this pain in my life, God was starting to put some grace and some peace in there as I continued to let God into my life. It started by banging on the ceiling and banging on the door, and it slowly, it slowly, God encroached into my life and became my friend. At this point, there are tears dropping off both of our noses. I'm like, I want God to be that kind of friend in my life. Anybody here been through a desert season? Anybody here feel like maybe you've been God's neighbor banging on the ceiling? God, are you listening? Can you just make this annoying thing stop? Anybody here been annoyed by the times God became that neighbor that encroached on your property line, that came in your house uninvited and started taking over things? But when we let God into those places, how good is that goodness? How good is that peace? How good is it what God brings when God comes to live as our friend? And when we let God be our friend. As I read the story this week, I, I had to think that there's going to be a time when I get to sit and I, talk, I get to talk to Joseph, who this story that we've been reading is about. And, and I can imagine, as I read through this story, I can imagine him saying, nothing is wasted. Nothing was wasted. That's exactly what Adam, my friend who, who dealt with cancer, that's what he looked at me and told me at the end of that. His tears are dropping off our, our nose. Nothing has been wasted, Erica. I experienced God's love and goodness when my wife embraced me on the hardest days, and that's all we had was each other. I remember and I knew God's goodness and love when my friends brought me food over that I couldn't even taste anymore because of the chemo treatments, but who I needed to know they loved me and supported me anyway. God was my friend, and not one single moment of that was wasted. It wasn't, I, I've come to believe, I don't believe God gave me cancer, but I don't believe God wasted that experience. And I believe that's what Joseph would say about the betrayal, about the cheating, about the dishonesty that he experienced throughout the story. You know, God didn't cause it, but God didn't waste it. And I don't know about you all, but I want to start living my life like that. God didn't cause it, but God's not going to waste it. God, use me for your purposes in the world. Use me even in this season of dryness and drought, God. Even when things aren't making sense, can you still please use me to tell about your goodness in the world? That's what Joseph said. That's what Adam said. And that's what I want to invite all of us to say. Even when the season is dry, even when things feel dried up and like there's not enough, what is it look like for us to say, God, use us anyway? So Joseph's brothers, let, we're going to turn to the story. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. They he got sent off to Egypt from the land he was living in. He lived as a slave in this house of, of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tells this lie about him. He gets thrown into prison. He's living in prison. He gets moved up in the ranks. Even in prison, they're like, this guy's wise. He's a great leader. He, he knows things. He's brilliant. He's amazing. Like, what does it look like for us to keep putting him in places where, where, this good, where these good gifts he has can be used no matter where he is and everywhere he is? He's like, God, use me. God, use me. God, use me. All these people do broken and all 
awful things. And he still is like, God, use me. God, use me. God, use me. And God was using him to do mighty and amazing things. And he, he's in prison, and Pharaoh finds out about how awesome this prisoner is. And this guy who was ripped from, his dad made him this beautiful coat, and his brother ripped, like literally ripped the coat off of him and sold him into slavery and sent him down to Egypt. All these people were betraying in line. I, I want you to hear in Genesis chapter 41, verse 41, what happens. Pharaoh, the king, the ruler of Egypt, said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. This guy who was betrayed and sold into slavery and treated awful his whole life was put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. That can be your story if people's betrayed you, if they've cheated on you, if they've broken, if, if they've done broken things to you. I want you to hear what God does to people like that. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. You might not be in charge of a whole land, but you might be in charge of your household. You might be in charge of your family. You might be in charge of something at work. It's something that God gives us when we continue to cling to God even in hard seasons. Then Pharaoh, I want you to listen to this. The Pharaoh, the ruler, took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. This guy who was stripped of his clothes and his dignity got a ring put on his finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Did y'all hear he went from nothing to something? God used him in mighty ways. Maybe you won't get a gold signet ring, but there is something God wants to put on you for you to be able to be used in mighty ways. Nothing will be wasted. Then Joseph is in charge of all this land. All these people in Egypt, he's doing this amazing job and famine hits the land. A drought hits the land and there is no food that is growing in this region. When the famine, so of course Joseph like rises up into power, things are going good and something else he can't control happens, right? Famine hits. So I want you to listen to what, what Joseph does. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold the grain to the Egyptians. He had been for seven years in the prison, he'd been putting all this extra extra grain in these rooms. And then when he becomes the ruler, he has all these extra storehouses of grains and he starts selling them to all the people in Egypt because the, because the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world, people from all over came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Did y'all hear that? He set up this whole amazing system. When Jacob, Joseph's dad, so Joseph's dad thinks Joseph is dead because his brothers have sold him into slavery and they go back and tell him, they take this nice robe that he's made for him, they've covered it in animal's blood, they take it back to Joseph's dad, Jacob, and they say, Joseph's dead. So jo Jacob, Joseph's dad, thinks this. So when, but he's also, so he's grieving his son. And then he learns that there is grain in Egypt and he has 11 boys to feed at home. And he said to his sons, why do y'all just keep looking at each other? <laughs> That's not helping us right now. He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us. Do something, right? So that we may live and not die. Then listen to this. Ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. 
What do y'all think happens when he gets there? Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Listen to this. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them, where do you come from? And he starts this whole thing about them um, being spies and stuff. But he is sitting there with the grain that they need. They are hungry. They have nothing for what they have in their own, own place. And these brothers bow down to him. And I want you to hear what happens in chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. So he recognizes his brothers. He could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. Everybody who works for me, get out of these rooms. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. It's just him and his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. Did y'all hear that? These men have come to him. They have nothing to eat. They're his brothers who've absolutely tried to destroy his life. And they're standing in front of him. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. He cried out and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. He looks at him and says, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers weren't able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They were scared to death. This guy has all the power to feed us and keep us alive, and we are scared to death. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done that, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one whom you sold into Egypt. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Don't, don't be worried. Don't be angry about selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God didn't waste it. God has saved the lives of people. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next few years, there'll be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Staring at the, in the face of not having enough in the middle of a famine and a desert season. Did you hear what, what, what Joseph said to his brothers? Don't be scared and don't be angry. What you, what you have done will not be wasted. God will redeem it and change it. Some of you may know what it's like sitting there. I have made an absolute mess of my life. And you need somebody to look at you and say, do not be scared and do not be angry. I'm telling you that's what God would say to you this morning. That's how he uses Joseph with his brothers. Don't be scared and don't be angry. There's something good for you. It will not be wasted. So they went out to Egypt. They came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They get the food. Joseph gives them food. They went out to Egypt. They came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, and they told him that Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob, Joseph's father, was stunned. He didn't believe them, but when they told him everything that Joseph said to him, and when he saw the carts that Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of the father Jacob revived, and Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before he lives. Joseph, then I want you to hear what Pharaoh said to Joseph. He said that your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. They've come to you. They need the stuff that you have to offer. Egypt is yours. Settle your father and your brothers. Listen to this, y'all. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. 
Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. What everybody else thought was wasted, God transformed all the pain and he used it for good. I think there's some things in Joseph's story that we can learn about how we can let God come from just being our neighbor, our, hey, stop this mess. And in the middle of the mess, we let God come in to our trial and our famine and our desert season. And we let God be our friend. Here are three things that I think Joseph did that may help you if you find yourself in a famine season. If you're not in a famine season, write these down because you're going to experience a season of famine. And I want you to pull these out and know this is how God works in the middle of the season. This is how you can sort of experience the goodness of God even in the famine season. The first thing, the very first thing that Joseph does is he fed other people when they were famished and hungry. You know what? When I experience a season of famine, when I experience a season of dryness and drought, you know what I do? I start storing up my own stuff and I am not generous. Did you hear what Joseph did? He opened up all of the grain that he had stored and he started giving it out to people, even to his brothers who had betrayed him and not done right by him. When you are in a famine season, if you, want, if you want God to move in your life in mighty ways, then start being just like God. Be generous with what it is that you have. If, if you're experiencing a very famine and, and dark time in your life, what does it look like to go serve somebody else? What does it look like to collect some food for somebody else? What does it look like for God to use a piece of your story, a piece of your power, a piece of the position that you are in to make sure other people are are people who are hungry have what it is they need. People who are thirsty have what it is they need to drink. What does it look like for you when you are when you are living in your own famished season to feed other people who are also hungry and famished. You want to move through this famine season. You want to experience God's goodness even in the midst of the famine. Feed other people who are hungry and famished. Feed other people who are hungry and famished. It will change your life. The second thing is that Joseph wasn't just a follower of God. He was a fan. He was a fan of restoration and reconciliation. No, those are really big church words. Let me explain what that means. Joseph lived by this motto that his brothers shouldn't get what they deserved. If you were standing there after you'd been sold into slavery, in prison, lied and cheated on, everything that you could imagine has been broken and hurt, and the people are standing in front of you who have betrayed you and hurt you, and all they need is the food that you can offer them, what is it that you're going to do? God says, be a fan of restoration and reconciliation. Give them what it is that they don't deserve. Now, if y'all think this is funny, three times this week before I sat down and actually like wrote out this sermon, I looked at my husband and my mom and I said, I just hope those people get what they deserve. And you know what both of them told me when I said that? They said, you don't live your life like that, Erica. I've watched you hand food to people who are hungry, even though you know the reason they may not have money to buy that food is because they've been spending it on things they shouldn't, like drugs or something else. I've watched you give people food who don't deserve it. You don't believe, you don't actually want people to get what they deserve. You've wrote letters to the governor of Tennessee about your friend Nick who lives on death row begging for his life, not because he deserves it, but because you love him and you want him to experience life even if it's in prison. You want him to keep getting to be alive. You don't believe in people getting what they deserve. But when, when people hurt me, that's what I want. I want them to get what they deserve. But 
When you're in a famine and dry season, when you feel broken and betrayed, become a fan of reconciliation and restoration. If you're not in a famine season, figure out how to be a fan right now of reconciliation and restoration. It's June 20th. Yesterday was Juneteenth. Just Google Juneteenth and you'll find some ways that folks who are people of color in our country have said, these are some ways you can be a part of restoring and reconciling the world. Listen to them and join in and figure out some ways you can be a fan of restoration and reconciliation. And then in the middle of your famine and hard seasons, you will become a fan of restoration and reconciliation, even with your personal relationships. What does it look like if we drop that, that mantra, that motto, people need to get what they deserve, and we start giving people the love and grace offered to them by God? God loves you. You've not gotten what you deserved because God loves you and wants you to know about the goodness and love even when you've messed up. God offers you forgiveness in the, in the places where you've messed up. God offers you goodness in the broken seasons of your life. God wants to offer you something else even in the middle of this. And we need to become a fan of that reconciliation and restoration in the world. You're going to have a chance to do that when you leave today. You're going to have an op opportunity to be a part of restoration and reconciliation today. And the final thing, I think a lot of times in a desert season, things get so dry. Famine seasons, we become so dry and so parched that we forget to weep. I didn't read all of the story of Joseph to you, but there are five times in that story where Joseph weeps. When his brothers come back and stand before him, he goes into a room by himself and he weeps. He weeps in front of them. Weep means to cry your eyes out. And when I read this, I was like, oh, this is like a Hallmark movie. Like, it's a perfect happy ending. Joseph and his brothers are like having this amazing reconciliation moment. Isn't this sweet? And then as I've, I've lived through it, as I read through it this week, I realized that, that Joseph was weeping because it is hard to offer restoration and reconciliation. This is Father's Day. Some of y'all have some interesting relationships with your fathers, right? And you know that restoration and reconciliation, knowing the fullness of God's mercy means that we have to end cycles of betrayal and brokenness in our own families and lives. And sometimes we are going to grieve at that. It was easier for Joseph to live his life pretending like his brothers weren't alive. Isn't that easier? Just, oh, I don't have to deal with them anymore. And then in the middle of this famine season, when he's trying to feed people, when things are literally drying up in the land, his brothers land right before form. Isn't that what happens with our dysfunctional families, our dysfunctional cycles of friendships or, or whatever in our lives? When things dry up, those things come right into our feet. They fall right at our feet. And I just want you to hear it's okay to weep at God's mercy because there is a moment of grieving. This relationship doesn't look like I thought it was going to look like. My brothers aren't hugging me and us going to watch a lightning game tonight when, the, when Joseph's brothers show up at his, at his door. It's something different than that, right? There's this moment where, where there's this brokenness and this, this broken trust that happens. And, and Joseph has to decide, like, am I going to break this cycle and live differently? And he weeps because things aren't like, they, like he thought they were going to be. And then he's able to offer restoration and reconciliation. And he cries good tears, too. There are moments where he just weeps at the power of God to use him for good things in the world. If you want your seasons of famine not to be wasted, then figure out what it looks like to weep at God's mercy, to break some cycles in your life that aren't healthy anymore. What does it look like? And it's okay to weep at those. It's going to be hard. It's going to shake you to your core. But then God offers goodness and, and, and doesn't waste those moments. God doesn't cause the pain, but God can transform it. 
So in the middle of weeping, God can offer you something else in the midst of it. Don't feel bad about weeping at God's mercy. If you are famined and having a hard time and you don't know what to do next, what does it look like to be generous with the things that God has given you? Feed other people who are famished and hungry. What piece of your story has God written and transformed that you can help somebody else? Is there a mentor? Can you be a mentor to a woman at work? There's a, a friend I know who said, I had no mentor. I was a young, law, a young female lawyer in Florida. I had no one who I could go to. So she started a mentoring community for young women who are, who are lawyers now. Is that a piece of your story? Feed people who are hungry and famished. I want mentoring in my life. Figure out how to mentor somebody. There's a friend of mine who has experienced some health care issues, and she's helping people get physically fit. What does it look like? What piece of your story has God transformed? And how are you asking the question, who's hungry and famished? And how can you use me in the particular position I'm in to serve or to feed others? That's a way to do that. And then finally, be a fan of restoration and reconciliation. If you want to live free, if you want to be freed up to move into positions of power where God can use you, let go of the motto that you think people should get what they deserve. And be thankful for a God who loves you so much that you're not going to get what you deserve either. Let's be fans of restoration and reconciliation. Let's accept that love that God has for us, those, those things that we think are broken and can never be repaired. God says it, it won't be wasted. I didn't cause it, but it won't be wasted. I'm going to transform it into something. Let's live like that this week. You're going to have the opportunity to speak into somebody else's famine season or to live through and experience transformation in your own famine season. You're going to get that opportunity before you walk out the doors today. Say yes to a God who promises you that nothing, nothing will be wasted. Will you pray with me? Can the band come on up? God, we thank you for being a God who doesn't waste anything. We thank you for being a God who, who not only teaches us to live by a different motto than we hope people get what they deserve, God, but, but that you are a God who generously offers us a different way to live. You've offered us love beyond what we deserve. You've offered us kindness and mercy and grace and peace beyond what we could ever imagine or deserve. Thank you, God, for catching us when we weep. When we weep at the moments where, where things are broken and, and you invite us into new seasons of, of breaking those cycles, God, we thank you for that. And we ask you, God, most of all, for those of us who are having a hard time clinging to this truth that nothing will be wasted, we ask you, God, to cling, help us cling to that today. Amen. Um,